film fans. It's mid-November. We don't know who our president is. And we have something traditional every November that is a warm, wonderful thing for St. Louis. And that is the St. Louis International Film Festival. Yay. Yay. But this year we're not there. We're not in lines. We're not, you know, seeing Q&A. But we can watch it all on virtual. So we're going to talk about that. And we have a special guest joining us today. Jay Kanzler. We'll talk to our guest, Jay Kanzler, about Sliff coming up next. Then around 12 minutes, we'll talk Let Him Go. Around minute 25, Kindred, The Life Ahead around minute 31. Maybe next year around minute 39. The Sarah Cooper Netflix special, Everything's Fine, around minute 48. Election 2020 around minute 51. And then we'll follow that up with the future of movies. Hi, Jay. Hey, Carl. Lynn, good to be with you both. I know. It's been a while. How long has it been since uh, you left uh, KTRS? I jumped ship on January 1st. So we're coming up on a year now. Oh, wow. So, but you have plenty of things to keep you busy because I think you've made another film, haven't you? I have not made another film. COVID, we were scheduled to shoot the film uh, in the summertime and obviously COVID prevented us from doing that. So we've rolled that over into the, to the next summer. Oh, okay. But you're back to filmmaking in addition to your attorney duties and your Episcopal ministry. Exactly. And in fact, I, I did a wedding over the weekend a couple weeks ago. And as they said, now, we don't really want to wear our masks while you're giving us the vows. And I said, that's okay. It was my niece and, and her new husband. And then they came down with COVID. So, wow. Now, I think they picked it up on their honeymoon. But I got to tell you, folks, wear your mask. Wear yes. your mask. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Yes. So for sure. thank you for having me. Well, thank you. We've been wanting to have you on for a while, but it's just uh, uh, it hasn't been in the cards. Yeah. So you were a longtime participant in the St. Louis International Film Festival. Absolutely. As a filmmaker, um, I love the festival. And then I was president um, of the board for about four years. And it's a great organization. In fact, uh, I was there uh, when we hired uh, Chris Clark and also um, when we hired the executive director. Uh Uh-huh. So Carl and I are both uh, on, because we're in St. Louis Film Critics Association and we have, for years now, we have been giving these two awards out, a narrative and a documentary. And they used to be called Under the Radar. And then when Joe Pollack died, we had them named the Joe uh, Pollack Awards. And then when Joe Williams died unexpectedly, I went to the board and said, hey, how about we name the documentary one for Joe Williams and we'll keep narrative for Joe Pollack. And they said so, so that at his memorial service at the Tivoli, I got to announce that, which was fun and the family was so appreciative. So we have the Joe Williams Award for narrative. I mean, for documentary, and we have the Joe Pollock Award for narrative. And so Carl and I are on these jury panels, and we will make our announcement on Sunday, the last night of the film festival, which is November 22nd. But usually we're at the Tivoli doing it, and this year we're going to be zooming it. Wherever we can be. Zooming it. But what I like about this year is... You don't have to be at a specific screening at a specific time. Like you're not racing from Plaza Frontenac 
to get over to the Tivoli to see two different movies because that used to be a pain. I shouldn't probably say that because that's, you know, the film festival. But you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you got things at Brown Hall at Wash U and then you'd have them out at Plaza Frontenac and then you were trying to be a good doobie and support them. And then we, uh, I, I always like the Q&As, but now they're all virtual. So St. Louis Film Critics, we are supporting a film called Lights of Baltimore. And it's after the Freddie Gray death by police in 2015 and how the city dealt with quality and justice and rebuilding and social activism. And it's uh, co-produced by Bo Williman. And I know you're familiar with his name because he is the Burroughs grad and he went on to be a playwright and also created the American version of House of Cards. Yep. So what do you think, folks, in terms of a virtual film festival? I know all of them have been going that route this year. Yeah. Uh, I loved going to film festivals. It was uh, it almost made filmmaking worthwhile that you could go hang out at these uh, small towns uh, oftentimes, but sometimes big cities and just rub elbows with other filmmakers and film enthusiasts. Um, now you're rubbing uh, iPhones with them instead. <laughs> and I'm not quite certain I don't know. What have you heard out there? How's it going? Well, I think because you and I are, have always been on judging panels for St. Louis Filmmaker Showcase, and I always look forward to that. And also to be in an audience, like when my son Tim would have films, you know, in the audience, listening to people laugh right. at things he wrote. And, and that was that was hard because our cast, a daddy dog, we were hoping that we could all meet together and see the movie together. And then that didn't happen. So it's like a cast reunion for a lot of people in St. Louis that make these movies. True. And we didn't. But on the other hand, the Hill documentary and Carl saw it. I did. That got more people than they've ever had watch a movie. Worldwide. Worldwide. And that was the first movie of everything that opened up. That was the first movie that they opened up for everyone to watch because, you know, not necessarily people are going to be watching at midnight on the 5th when it opened up. But the Hill documentary was available as soon as the film festival opened at midnight. And they they know they know that people want to see it and they are keeping that available because some films are only available for a certain window. But the Hill documentary is open the entire film festival starting at midnight the night it opened. Let me ask you, I, I know Joey Puglio is a, a Facebook friend of mine and I've heard a lot about the film, have not seen it. Uh, are you allowed to talk about it, Carl? Did yeah, you enjoy we're, it? we're allowed to talk about it. It's, it's a little cheesy at the end. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, and cheesy is the right word because they said you knew we were going to, the, the screen goes blank and they said you knew we were going to talk about it let's talk about the food on the hill. And so they, they talk about all the restaurants on the hill. And I, as I said, when we reviewed this, when it came out during the showcase, I learned something about my grandparents who are Italian immigrants. Uh, they came to the United States at the turn of the century. And I always wanted to know why they didn't live on the hill. And I found that out while watching this movie. 
I, I, I always thought it was weird. I just never thought to ask about it, but it was always in the back of my mind. But I found out why without having to be told due to this movie. It's because they were from Sicily <laughs> and ah. the Sicilians were not treated well on the hill. I and they, they talk into that. They talk about that and they talk about uh, the uh, classism and the prejudices of the Northern Italians and the Southern Italians. And for a 75 minute film, it gets a lot of stuff in. Wow. Well, I'm looking forward to that one. I am yeah. going, I have it. I, I have a 10 film pass and I'm actually thinking of getting that film three times and going to watching it at separate, separate houses because I know people on the, like Rich LaRusso uh, from LaRusso's right. is uh, he's at home right now, uh, quarantine, uh, but not for that. He's got other medical issues and I'm going to watch it at his house, I believe next Wednesday. And then I have other friends that have restaurants and, uh, uh, let's see, let's see, uh, let's, how, what's the word I can, uh, ventures on the hill. And so I'm going to be watching at separate houses with them when I see the film several times in the next, what, 10 days or so? Well, it's November 5th to the 22nd. They extended it because it's oh. virtual. Well, so there, there are some things you can watch the Q and you can watch all the Q and A's online. Uh, Alex Winter did the movie Zappa and I interviewed him in 2016 because he was getting the Guggenheim Award at the festival because he's from St. Louis and he was telling me he was going to make this Zappa documentary and he got the blessing of the family to do it and so it's finally here so Daniel Dirchholz is going to do the Q&A with him or probably already has they're all in the can and you're just gonna when you see them you know you just go and watch it but I think that's interesting and then Dave Chappelle was the opening night last night with his 846 which is very powerful because it's about George Floyd and what happened after at, at and the sum you know what happened this summer but it well, was eight, eight minutes and 46 time. seconds was how long the knee was on the neck and that's why the special is titled that it was available for free Netflix put it out on YouTube and you could have watched it for free all summer or you can support the film festival by watching it with the Chappelle Q&A at the end. Right. So that's good. So I was going to say that the director, the people that are involved with it are in the Q&A. And so there's a whole local spotlight. Some of the movies from the St. Louis uh, showcase that were so popular was Easy Bake, which I never did see because, you know, I wasn't on a jury this year because of I had a film. Because in you were competing. Yeah. And so... I'm looking forward to that. And so there's a lot, even though they don't, you know how they don't, Jay, they used to have those big premieres of the latest movies that were going to be Oscar contenders. Exactly. Yeah, they're not having that. You know, the one film I did want to uh, send a shout out about is uh, Aisha Sultan's film. Oh, yeah. Which um, I, I have seen and I've done a little work with her on that as a lawyer and kind of helping her along. Um, and it is a uh, it is a great film. It's a powerful film, and it's worth watching. Which one is that? Th uh, what is it? Thirty and growing, or thirty and um, I forget the name. It's about the woman on uh, in prison and the efforts to gain a pardon for her. She ended up killing her husband. Okay, that's right. And there's been a play about that too in the theater community. 
So, oh yeah, that's right. I was very happy she won that. That was, that's really good. So moving on to new releases. We well, have- hold on a second, Lynn. If you're going to talk about the film festival, go to cinemastlouis.org. That's the website. That's where everything is. Oh, that's right. We have to do that. And uh, yeah, support local because they need it. And uh, they're great. As, as Jay said, they're a great group. Well, we have some new movies that are only in theaters. Yes. The theaters. What's a theater? Yeah. I know. I saw Tenet in uh, IMAX, and that's the first and last time I've been to the theater since March. Wow. Um, well, let's talk about Let Him Go. Right. Is the new film with Kevin Costner and Diane Lane, except it's really Diane Lane and Kevin Costner because it is her movie. And now, Lynn, when we were talking to our buddy Dan and he made a prediction about the film, he was not correct, but nor was he far off. I know. Well, I wasn't going to spoil it for him. Well, of course not. I'm not going to spoil it either, but I, people think it's, oh, it's a Kevin Costner movie. No, it's a Diane Lane movie. And she is the star of the film. It's based on a book by... Um, Larry Watson. Larry Watson. Larry Watson. It's written and directed by Thomas Bezulcha. Who did I, The Family Stone. Oh, okay. And now that's become a Christmas classic. Uh, yes. Yeah. I actually, well, I actually watched that movie in Baltimore because I, does it take place in Baltimore? I want. I want to say it, it. And I don't care for Sarah Jessica Parker, and I, it was. It was fine. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, the yeah. It's 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 a surprising movie. Actually, it grows on you the more you watch it. So let him go is based on this Larry Watson book. And apparently he is a preeminent chronicler of the new West of the American West. Who knew? And this place, yeah. well, when someone, a lot of people asked me, Oh, is this a Western? I said, it takes place in 1963 or 1964. They're very vague. about 50s. The No, they're, it's the book was in the fifties. Well, the, the son dies in 1961 and they, because you, they go to the grave site and you see his grave oh. before they say, so they have him dying in 61 and the child, the grandson is around three that they keep saying. So you don't know if it's 1963 or if it's 1964, but it's early 60s out, out West. And like they're listening to Buddy Holly on the radio and they're dancing around. And it's a very 1950s feel. Right. Well, they live on a ranch in Montana and Kevin Costner is a retired sheriff. So, you know, he's a lawman. 30 years with the badge. He is a typical dad from the 50s, gruff, not Silent. too many words. Stoic. And uh, Diane Lane is your typical dutiful homemaker. And they have this tragedy happen. And the... Uh, little boy moves away with his new stepdad and mom when he's three mm -hmm. and uh diane lane had witnessed the stepdad hit her grandson and hit his wife her former daughter-in-law 
And so she decides to have some gumption and she's going to, she wants to go to North Dakota to rescue the boy. So there's all this back and forth between her and Kevin Costner, but they do a road trip in this, in a station wagon and they stop at all these old timey motels because no holiday inns, you know, and so, and uh, all these little tiny cafes. And so you see their relationship you see how they've uh, survived for over 20 some years and you see their, their problem areas, but also they, their romance as it is. And then they are tested because <laughs> this family that their daughter, former daughter-in-laws married into is the wee boys. And you get the idea, these are not Boy Scouts. No. They don't actually ever say, but it reminded me of second season of Fargo, Gene Smart's character, matriarch of a crime family. And I think they're pretty much hooligans and thugs, but I don't know why, but they do have a reputation. So they, yeah. they. The first wee boy you meet is Jeffrey Donovan. And you can just, you know, like like he was in like everything that he's been. He was in J. Edgar with uh, Clint Eastwood. He He played RFK in that and he was on burn notice but he was a hero in that this time he's playing he's shady without being shady he makes he makes everyone nervous and he doesn't want to uh he he's not playing his hand but you can tell there's just something about him that's creepy and then you have leslie manville uh who was so awful in the phantom thread (laughs) that she's even worse as of a character in this movie Oh, she is brassy. She is this evil mom and she rules this family with an iron fist. And right away, uh, they go to supper at her house and it's pork chops. And the, the tension you can cut with the knife, these families are total opposite. And you know, there's no good that's going to come of this. Well, she's normally working with Mike Lee. And so it's much lighter fare. This is very dark and very creepy yeah you don't know what's wrong with this woman but but there is a sense of uh of uh you know there's something going on and kevin costner notices it right away he plays george blackledge and diane lane at first is trying to be nice and cordial and then it just you know there's going to be a showdown mm-hmm. what i was surprised about is how oh, Bruce, you, have to, you have to mention Boo Boo Stewart from the Twilight films too. He plays an integral part in making sure that everyone is safe. Uh, because this, since it's the early '60s and they're in this rural area, there's a lot of squatting going on. And Boo Boo Stewart plays this Native American who has run off. There's a whole sub story about how uh, Native Americans in the early '60s are mistreated and i'm guessing in the book it was probably a bigger deal yeah i would think that he plays peter dragon's wolf right and so he he's not uh happy with the white man so therefore he's not necessarily um he's not siding with either the law which would be kevin coster or the wee boys he just knows to stay away from the wee boy family yeah well everybody seems to know that the uh, the the woman playing the former daughter-in-law, Kaylee Carter, is very good. 
-hmm. in this. She's really good. And she, it's, you know, at first it's a thankless role because she's trying to be this perfect wife and Diane Lane's her mother-in-law. And then she had, you can tell that there's, she just telegraphs a lot with her nonverbal. Well, yeah, she was in Bad Education with uh, Hugh Jackman and uh, Allison Janney. Yes. And she was also in uh, Mrs. America. Yeah. Yeah, she's been promised. So the acting in this is really good. The cinematography is beautiful. Guy Godfrey, who I've never heard of, but it's just gorgeous frontier, Jay, from Montana to North Dakota. Apparently in the book, it's North Dakota to Montana. Well, and the, it's weird that they shot it in New York and Calgary. So I'm so Calgary's standing in for Montana, and I'm guessing they did the interiors somewhere in New York. Yeah, and so it's it's nice. It says it kind of has a couple different genres mashing together: neo noir, western, romance, if you want to call it that. Uh, a mature, just they're grieving their son. They got to deal with that, and and so there's there's a lot more issues. I think the script is smart, but it is. I don't think it's totally satisfying. Like I gave it a B. Well, I give it a B, but I, I mean, it's a good, it's a steady yarn. Well, you've been, you, due to the trailers and everything you know about this film, you're expecting a huge showdown. You actually, there are two show, there's a mini showdown, and which is disgusting. It and is. And then there's another showdown, which is less than satisfying. Yes. Well, what I want to say about this, I warned people when I was with Ray on KTRS last night, it is brutal and bloody. And if you're, you know, you think you're going to get this one movie and then when the violence explodes, it is not, uh, it, you know, it doesn't pull back. Let's put no, it like it that. And now a friend of mine wanted to see uh, how this because he, he's a fan of Yellowstone and he thinks well if that's the mood that Kevin Costner is doing now so he's because that's a western and he said so is it a western I said yeah but it's a western in the mid to late 20th century so there are horses but they're also driving around in Chevy trucks and so it's it's you know the mid to early 1960s but yes it's a it's not a classic Western. And so for Yellowstone, Yellowstone is a modern Western and like something like Unforgiven, which a lot of people are comparing this movie to, even though they shouldn't, it's, it, it's a, it's a Western, but not, not like a 1960s TV Western. It's a 1960s modern-ish Western because the 1960s Westerns didn't have cars in them. No. Well, what I like most of all in this movie is Diane Lane and Kevin Costner together. They are such seasoned old pros that they just have a shorthand with each other and it's very easy and comfortable. And He's I really- years older than she is. And she, they're acting like they're contemporaries. She's in her mid fifties and he's- late He's 60s. my age, he's my age. Cause when I interviewed him, I had told him happy birthday cause it was around. Yeah, so, so anyway. he's, he's a whole decade older than her, but they they- Play it off like they went to high school together. Yeah, but it works. And they were they were Superman's well, Clark Kent's parents in Man of Steel back in 2013. Right. 
don't don't tell some of our friends about that because they will spit on the ground like you've just said the c word <laughs> some people yeah. don't care for man of steel well they were good in it i they don't were. particularly like henry cavell as uh superman but they were good Man's a mustache but I think that he's in his wheelhouse because Kevin Costner is at home on the range. Mm-hmm. And, and then she's just so good playing these mature women of substance. And once again, it is her film, not his film. Jay, do you have any questions about Let Him Go? I do not. Um, again, I assume that I figure out what the, uh, the, the title means uh, when I see the film. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I don't uh, like the title. <laughs> you know, it's a weird, it's a weird title because it reminds me of like the, the vampire movie, Let Him In, you know? <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's based on a book. So maybe it's, it's more in the book and they just want to, I don't know. I'm not going to pretend. It is okay, interesting well, to see Kevin Costner have something of a resurgence these days with uh, Yellowstone and otherwise he had kind of fallen off. I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a fan of his. I liked him in JFK. I liked him in the, the golfing movie. I can't remember the uh, the title. Tin I thought, yeah, Tin Cop. Uh, but he kind of had fallen off the, the, the radar for a bit. Well, the, yeah, I, when we met him was for Black and White with Octavia Spencer. Right. Right. That was in uh, 16, 14? Yeah, I want to say that five or six years, or four or five years ago. Not, and, a, not, um, a, not a huge hit, though. No, no. no. Well, I think he, I mean, he was king of the world, and then he made that... Uh, Waterworld. Not very good. <laughs> well, Waterworld, but Robin Hood was a big vanity project right after he won, you know, dance, uh, Dances with Wolves, you know. That was 1991. He was okay. still doing stuff <laughs> since 91. I know, but Waterworld was, oh, and then The Postman, if you have ever seen The Postman. I have not. You know, he, he was making, like, he did that three-hour Wyatt Earp, and then he did the th- three-hour Postman. People like Wyatt Earp, though. I know, but he was really starting to just do these huge vanity projects, but Waterworld and Postman were just awful. Okay. All right, well, then let's move on to You Saw Kindred. I did. And speaking of a dead son and a horse, here we go again. So I'm watching this movie that takes place in a Scottish manor and it's got an evil mom. So I'm like, what? I'm watching an evil mom movie with a dead son and a horse. So here we go. Um, This takes place. It's very Rosemary baby like, but it's not the spawn of Satan. It, uh, this woman is engaged to a boy from, or he's a veterinarian. She works in a horse stable. He's a veterinarian. They decide they're going to move to Australia. So they're going to go tell his controlling mother. They live on this big estate in Scotland. And uh, they're going to go tell his controlling mother that they're moving to Australia. I well, wanted to move to Australia, but my wife didn't like the food. So, so she, um, uh, the mom has a hissy fit and the mom is played by Fiona Shaw, very celebrated theater actress and also a lot of movies. She plays, yeah, Harry Potter. She plays this 
this very, you know, they're also polite, but she's very controlling and she is not. And then the convenient plot twist is that he's pregnant. <laughs> Charlotte, the girlfriend who is African, who is, um, uh, she's she's black um, British person. She uh, you, wanted, you wanted to say African American, but she's and they don't they don't say British African over there. They say black. Yeah, they do. So she's a black British woman, uh -huh. and uh, she's very feisty, independent. She finds out she's pregnant. She's not happy being pregnant. They're like, oh, let's rest here. We want to take care of you. And the son dies, very tragic accident okay. involving a horse. And uh, she starts thinking that they are keeping her there for their own purposes. Like That's they the, want to uh, take the Rosemary baby part. Yeah, like they want to take the baby. And so it's this crumbling manner. There's lots of room. They have this fixation with birds. It's a first time filmmaker. And um, they, they have this obsession with crows. There's a lot of crows. And she says at this one point, she says, oh, um, that, uh, uh, you know, it, it's bad luck if you see one alone. Or, you know, you got to see more than one together or something. I don't know. But it's that birds with Alfred Hitchcock showing these crows all the time. And they're on the window seal. And the, but they don't ever go back to it. It's just weird. So this woman is totally freaking out because they make the doctor come to her. She doesn't get to pick her doctor. She doesn't get to ever go out. They lock the gate. They're like, no, you have bed rest. And, and so the one son is a stepson. And he is Thomas and he takes care of doing the meals and he's pretty much like the stepmother's lackey. And he is played by Jack Loudon. Okay. Who was in Dunkirk and also, oh, I forget the other movie, but he, he produced it too. So something's weird with him. He was too. in Fighting With My Family. That's it. That's it. So yeah, he's one of the brothers. So anyway, Tamara Lawrence is very good as Charlotte, the pregnant woman who is getting very uh, put upon and starts having strange dreams and just she she's going to be uh, I haven't seen her in anything, but I think she'll probably do well from this. You have this sense of dread and this unsettling feeling the whole time. And the poor woman, you know, her belly keeps growing and she keeps being like, I got to get out of here. She tries to escape a couple of times. Doesn't work. It is very unsettling, but then also it doesn't really stick the landing. So is it a horror film? It's a, it's a mystery. Yeah. It's a, it's a mystery thriller. There's a little sense of uh, supernatural, but not much, okay. but it's more of a thriller suspense movie, right. but it's very tense. If you want and, to see Fiona Shaw in anything this year, see her in Enola Holmes. That's right. I thought of you when I saw that she made that because I was like, well, I have to see that. But yeah. See, so see her in Enola Holmes oh. on Netflix. It's much better. It's well done, but it is really, it starts to be 
you know, like it just makes you more tense and nervous. And especially after we saw the let him go with the son and the horse, I was like, and the evil mom. So well, another so evil mom. Too many documentaries. Now you're seeing too many dead kid movies. I know, which is not good. So um, I saw another film based on a book. This is Sophia Loren's return to the screen after 10 year absence. Wow. Wait a second. Did, did, did she ride a scooter? One of those rascals? <laughs> a Vespa. Yeah. No, this takes place. She is so good in this movie. It's directed by her son, Eduardo. Okay. It's the third time that they have collaborated. It's called The Life Ahead. And it is in theaters today. It's at Plaza Frontenac. But then it starts on Netflix next Friday. Okay. Can I ask a question? Um, and sure. I hate to interrupt here. No. I haven't seen the movies. I got to add something. But I, is anybody really going to movies? I mean, we're talking about these movies and telling people about movies that are out there. I live not very far from the uh, the Esquire. I, I, I think they're open, but I've never seen anybody walk in and out of it. Well, the thing is, we've been invited to a movie next week. Um, Lynn and I, uh, we were talking about how we didn't get the screening link for uh, what's the what's the horror movie coming out on Friday the Thirteenth uh, with uh, Freaky Freaky with uh, Vince Vaughn. They're actually having a screening of that for the press next week, and they I, and I'm on the fence on whether I want to go to that or not because yeah. I, I don't know, I, you know. People, some some people want a sense of normalcy, and I know people out in uh, that live out in Wildwood, and they go to the B and B all the time because they they just want to go out, and they said it's very safe, and they said it's very clean, and they just want to get back to going to the movies, and so some people are doing it. Tom Stockwin goes all over. I personally haven't because I'm high risk, but right now I'm in quarantine, so I can't go. I think I got the link to it, Carl. I'll double check. But, but, uh, do, I, but do or do I want to go to a screening? And I don't know if I do. Yeah, I do think they're taking extra precautions and it's very safe. And it's just that I don't want to be sitting there with a couple hundred people. Right. But these situations are not, you know, you're not getting that many people. Plus, and I think in the county, or the say, I think are, aren't we limited to fifty people or twenty five people something gatherings? Twenty five percent, something like that. Yeah. So, so, but some people are, and I'm, I'm grateful they are because Regal closed, mm -hmm. so there's no Regal in St. Louis. They all shut down, and it's just going to take a while because right now Illinois and Missouri, the numbers are not good. Every day we're spiking higher. And that's just one more reason to not put yourself in any kind of uh, situation where, you know, that, that you're around people that might be. The bad thing about the virus is that you could be asymptomatic and still spread it. So you don't know. Anyway, so, this movie. Loren, how is she looking at 86? And this is her son with uh, Carlo Ponti, right? Yes. Eduardo Ponti. He's a director. And, uh, it's, uh, well, her role is, she's 86 now. Yes. So those days of her being an international beauty 
you know, sex symbol, those are gone. But she are looks you good. She can't look good at 86. Is that what you're no, saying? No, I'm saying she looks remarkable for 86. I mean, seriously, for 86, she looks great. But her role is this woman who's got health issues. So she's not looking good on screen because she's got to play this woman. Okay, so it's based on a book that the 1977 movie came from Madame Rosa with Simone Signore. Only this time they have moved it to Italy. Okay. It's the Roman Gary novel. And she plays Madame Rosa, who is a Holocaust survivor that, and a former prostitute who now is a daycare worker for streetwalkers kids and misfit kids in this in this town port city Barrie that has a lot of immigrants and there's a lot of issues with the immigrants and this boy 12 year old boy from Senegal um Senegalese boy yes his name is Momo and he's a wild child and he does not want to be confined or contained and he's big so she's like i'm too old for this i just don't can deal with it but that but his uh his guardian says please we need you and so there's an assortment of colorful people that she's taking care of in this kind of rooming house and uh she has declining health and finally the boy and her bond it takes a long time but the boy is really good and he's a first time actor and uh i did a, i i watched a q a with uh sophia and her son and uh eduardo said they looked at like several hundred kids but this was one of the first kids they looked at and they knew right away that he was going to be, uh, you know, the, the, he, that he was it. So he makes an impressive debut. It's a good film. I, everybody's touting her for an Oscar nomination for s supporting actress. And she may very well get one, but I don't know if she's going to win. But it might be one of those sentimental. It, the movie is very sentimental. Now the the book takes place. The book is from 1975. Is what time is this a period piece? No, this is more modern because of the immigrant problem. Because well, but the the original book was about a Muslim orphan boy also, and the book was called "The Life Before Us." This is the life ahead. Is the change of the title making us look forward, or is do you think they just chose it to differentiate? I think they chose it to differentiate. Okay. So apparently, uh, this, uh, apparently this region, as in there's pockets of Europe right now that are having terrible crime problems. So there's a lot of crime. There's a lot of prostitution, a lot of, uh, you know, because the refugees are coming in from African countries. And uh, they're having a lot of odds with the people okay. in the town. So they're 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 also that, that that whole misfit and outsider uh, conflict is there too. You know, like the townspeople don't like them. Of course not. 
So we have that. So it's a good movie. It's not, I don't think it's great. I just, but it's a, it's a very interesting, it's very interesting. And to see her, she's very warm and earthy and fierce. And it's just a really good role for her. Good. So did you also see uh, maybe next year? I did. That is the sports documentary. About, oh, that's the one about the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, and what's interesting about this, I mean, it's very colorful and it has a lot of flavor. What's interesting is the the guy that set out to make a movie about these diehard Philadelphia Eagles fans, he just happened to pick the year they went to the they Super won. Bowl <laughs> after 58 years. So that was an accident. Well, well, they had a great they had a great year until they had uh, and what's the word I'm looking for? Um, something very St. Louis happened to them. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, uh, they have um, they spotlight four fans. Surely, mm-hmm. pardon? Are they related? No. Okay. They spotlight four fans. This uh, Kyle Thrash did the movie, and he bought a pickup truck for $2,000 to go tailgate and meet people as he chronicled the diehard fans of Philadelphia. And he has, what's really nice about it, it has a lot of color about Philadelphia being the city of brotherly love, but also in the shadow of New York and Washington, D.C. and about how uh, they have a reputation, their fans have a reputation. And they're the batteries in Santa Claus. Yeah. And and they're the city of uh, Rocky, they're underdog city, so they have that. But they also have a big chip on their shoulder about how they're portrayed in the media uh, by, uh, you know, because their fans are lunatics. And yes. They have a jail um, in their stadium. Yeah, well, that's another point. They have a jail in their stadium. They, they talk about that and they show the police. It's so funny because they're showing all these fans cheering and everything. And then they'll show the police and, and they got some hooligan in, in cuffs. You know, so so it's very it's very fun and touching. So these four people we have Shirley, who is um, she helps football widows learn football language lingo so they know what's going on. And then we have Rich, who he he got permission from his wife to put a addition on his house that would just be like a man cave for watching uh, Phillies games for for watching the, the football Eagles. games with his family and friends, and he has a heart condition, and so he always has to have nitroglycerin with him, and <laughs> and then uh, and then there is Jesse who has a son who's autistic, and he wants to bond with him over the sports like he and his dad did, and his dad's dying of brain cancer. So you got him, he's a sandwich generation person. And then you have the most colorful person. His name is Bryant. And he is this gigantic super fan who makes YouTube videos and every other word is MF. And he's on, he's on, he's on YouTube doing MF and everything. And so it, it spotlights these four people and how they react to a winning season. And then when, Carson Wentz goes down with the ACL, uh, that whole thing. And then uh, it just, it has a lot of, 
grit to the movie because they show the streets of Philadelphia, the blue collar aspect of it, but then also the national landmarks that they have. And so it's a really nice, it's a nice little movie about Philadelphia and you're never going to watch a a Philadelphia game without thinking of those people. Well, did they, they talk, they must all worship Nick Foles then. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They came around. They came around. Well, they didn't, when they, when he went, when Carson went down, they, they thought their season was over. Right. And, and so, so does it, does it get into the season or is it more about the fans? No, they show the games they have nice game footage of, you know, like one and oh, two and oh going on. And then when they lose, but you should see their faces when the, when Wentz goes down. You well, know, I it, they it's just... the we, we can we can relate with the whole Trent Green, Kurt Warner thing. But that happened at the beginning of the season. This they were what, 12 and two or 10 and two in their first 12 games. And then you have the uh, torn ACL. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, the, the best thing about that season is that the Eagles beat the Patriots. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, they dwell on that a lot because, you know, everybody hates Tom Brady <laughs> and stuff. So, can you watch this film if you're not a football fan? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm not that much of a football fan, but I enjoyed it because I guess because St. Louis, you're just around, you know, you know these people. Right. You know, you know, it just strikes a chord about fandom. You know, everybody's head to toe in their jerseys and, and uh, it's also it. like if uh, someone would have followed the St. Louis Blues around in the eighteen nineteen season, thinking, "Well, the Blues are going to blow it this year." It's it's the exact same thing. Right. Yeah. I think it's, it's not necessarily about football. It's more about sports. Right. Yeah, I think uh, I think it strikes a universal core because you know there's so much money in sports nowadays. Yeah. And they show all these people, you know, they show the, the mom and pop joints and they show the, um, the, the cavernous sports bars with the big screens and, and everybody dressed head to toe. And, you know, it's, I mean, game day is just a religion to these people. Oh, they have this priest. You'll enjoy this. They have this priest who on game day becomes his alter ego helmet head. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, that's very that's very Philly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's just fun, you know. Philly's rough and tumble, and and uh, it's it's got a lot of um, I don't know. It's just well, the guy that made the movies from Philly, he grew up in the suburbs, so he knows his tribe. He knows his people. I've always wondered. I, I've been struck by the whole wearing someone else's jersey. I mean, does Nick Foles show up at McDonald's with a high? Would can you would you like fries with that jersey on? <laughs> he would though. We do that a lot, and it just always strikes me as interesting. I mean, I I, I don't complain. I mean, I'm not. Oh, Jay, are you saying that you don't have anybody's jersey with anyone's name on it? I have I have a uh, okay. Orlando Pace jersey. I did did this. That's I had yeah, but I went to a, uh, and I, I love sports, don't get me wrong, and, and I went to a, uh, a muscular dystrophy, or it was either MD or MS uh, fundraiser, and I went with a client, and I was a young attorney, and they had these uh, prize packages, group package, and so I said, well, I'll bid first, 
And that way I'll look like I'm really trying to promote this cause. And then uh, somebody will come in and, and, and then I'll say, oh, I, I couldn't get it. And I bid first for this and not another bid. <laughs> so I ended up with uh, a, a Keith Kachuk jersey, I think, an Orlando Pace jersey. And that was the same year there was a baseball player as well. He had come over from Philadelphia. Um, they had kind of these three rookies that year. Um, and so I had one from them. So I still have it. Nice. It's an expensive way to impress my client, but uh, I still have it. <laughs> hey, that's what you do. You sign up at the beginning of the night. And if nobody gets it, you're a hero. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, well go ahead, Lynn. No, I was just going to say uh, the uh, that is available through all the video on demand platforms. Now, Jay, we've been we've gone through the new releases, except for Alone, which I'm going to watch. Uh, I think this weekend, and we can talk about it next weekend. Um, Jay, what have you seen since you've been uh, quarantining and not going out at home? What what movies or uh, shows have you been watching in the last seven months since you haven't really been going out? Well, a couple of things that I've been watching, uh, Mountain Men with my wife, because it's there from Montana and a friend of mine who's uh, that I grew up with is out there. And, and those are interesting. I like those shows. It's just that the, the, the Homestead Rescue and some of that, and I never thought that I would. What I would like to talk about, if you don't mind, is the Sarah Cooper special. Oh, yeah. And because I am a huge Sarah Cooper fan. One, because I, I don't like the person she started off mocking. So I, you know, it was fun to laugh at him with her. Uh, but I thought it was incredibly talented and um, she just did a great job and she became such an overnight sensation with yes. her uh, mimicking of the president, uh, lip syncing to it, that I really, really, really wanted her to succeed with uh, her next project. And I wish, I thought it was great. She was, I mean, she was really courted. Unfortunately, um, I the, the special is I would give it a C. I didn't it's think it's not was, a lot of what she's famous for. And they really did her no famers fa our favors. They really kind of took what would be I, I, I was trying to think of an analogy. If you took this big car engine, okay, and you know with this high powered car engine, and then you surrounded it with a lot of bells and whistles and and other things, which are all the the guest stars and the cameos and all that. But you never let the car really take off with the engine. That's what I felt is they they didn't trust her enough to be funny on her own. And they had to add uh, John Hamm and they had to add these just these jokes that just weren't her, but they were they grew very tiresome. Her producer, who continued to dress up in uh, COVID uh, PPE, that joke wore out about 20 minutes into the to the special. Now, I want to see her do more. I hope she ends up what she really should end up with. And this is probably because Hollywood is shut down. Uh, she should have had a special, but they didn't want to just put her on the stage without an audience. And two is kind of a sitcom of her own. I think she'd do very well and with Hollywood being shut down. I think they wanted to capture something for her. I just think they rushed it and it failed. She, yeah. had a, she has a lot of famous friends now because, well, she was, she was well-respected in the comedy world Absolutely. before this. And so, and she got, and once 
she started doing the whole mocking the lip syncing thing. Uh, her famous friends, like, whatever you do, we're going to be a part of it. Natasha Leone directed this. Yes. Maya Rudolph's a producer. And she got a lot of famous friends that were fans of her work to do this. But I don't know how much of the writing she had to do. You know, I don't know. And that's the thing. If she, whoever was doing the writing, um, and if you look at the credits, they have about 20 writers, 15 to 20 writers listed. And it looks like that. It looks like a hodgepodge. There was no consistency. There was no melding of, uh, there, no chemistry there. At least I didn't think so. It was just a lot of, it was a bad Saturday Night Live episode. Yeah. I could see her go being a host to SNL and you know i can see that who knows well again, they, i'm not sure they, go ahead i'm just saying i, I want to make it very clear i'm not criticizing sarah cooper here right the vehicle that she was provided was very weak i think sarah cooper is going to be a superstar well they they're developing a show on cbs she and uh, cindy chupak called how to be successful without hurting men's feelings so that might be a better Right. I that sounds that it. sounds that sounds awesome i mean it does it sounds it sounds wonderful yeah uh well snl tomorrow night post-election is dave Chappelle, and Foo fighters also was the host four years ago yes and he got in trouble for saying i'm willing to give donald trump a chance but this this was the day, this was three days after the election that he said that, and he got hate for it. And so now he's going to be doing it four years from now. And um, Lauren Michaels and Saturday Night Live are getting a lot of flack now for having Jack White and Foo Fighters and all these classic rock bands when they sh they're saying Saturday Night Live used to have all these cutting edge bands. But they had Justin Bieber and they had uh, uh, Megan Thee Stallion. They're, they do have these uh, current artists, but what's going on is the fact that, first of all, this is the first time they've ever done, last week was the first time they ever did five in a row. This time's the first time they've ever done six in a row because they always take three or four and do a week off because it's just exhausting for all the right. writers. And they just couldn't get that many artists in a row because it's, they say getting a pop artist is just too much work to get like, cause you need a makeup person, you need a hair person, you need a choreographer. Cause they all need to do this stuff. Getting a rock act in there is really quick and you can just put them on stage, plug in their amps and they're done. Exactly. And Foo Fighters, they don't have any new product out. They're going to be supporting the 25th album, 25th anniversary of their first album. That's why they're on Saturday Night Live. So and that's that's what one of the things is, and Dave Chappelle doesn't care. Dave Chappelle's going to be great on Saturday. Yeah, he's going to uh, be Dave Chappelle I, I like, no matter um, what. Go, cool. I'm sorry, Jay. Would what, I say he's going to be Dave Chappelle no matter what? Right, right. And I like Foo Fighters, so I'm good. I'm good. But they don't have a new album. That's that's Saturday Night Live is all about. And the only reason that they had Jack White on it was because that one guy went to a party after his team won in football, and so. <laughs> They yeah, would, well, they, they have to, to have yeah. new artists on that guy. I'd never heard of that guy. It would have been a great, but his college football team won and he went to a party and they said we couldn't clear him. So I, I understand why 
I understand why he was doing what he did, and I understand why Saturday Night Live didn't have him on. They'll probably have him on next year. Right. Well, so we're also guys. dealing with the COVID, so right. you know that that's, you that's like, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I have been a, a big Alec Baldwin fan as uh, Trump. I have not warmed up to Jim Carrey as uh, Vice President and President-elect Biden. <laughs> Don't yeah. jump the gun, Jay. Yeah. Well. What do you think? I, 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 I at first, uh, when he came out and he was doing the, the um, you know, guns and the aviator, I was, I thought that was funny. And then it just has grated on my nerves. It just has not hit the right tone. I've heard two reasons why it's not working. One, because Jim Carrey is being muffled and not a person that joke. He looks exactly like him. Let's let's mm -hmm. do that. They only got him because they he looks like him and uh, Carrey wanted to do it. Joe Joe Biden is not a Jim Carrey type character. And, right. we all, and if you watched the Showtime series where he played Mr. Pickles, you know that Jim Carrey can do dramatic acting. Well, Truman Show and uh, exactly. Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind. Exactly. So you know that, but I was talking recently. Okay. And, but because he did that show last year. And so you're expecting manic Jim Carrey and you get flashes of that. Last week when it was just him doing the uh, Halloween thing, that was a more subdued Jim Carrey because there was nobody else. I mean, uh, Maya Rudolph came in as Kamala Harris, who they keep wedging into every single one of these things because they have her there using her. You know, yeah. it, it doesn't make sense to have Maya Rudolph on every week. And if you notice the last couple of weeks, she's been appearing in sketches and uh, produce bits too. So I know. And they have all these other women. I was very shocked at that, but AD Bryant's, uh, away filming her show. And Cecily Strong hasn't been on all year except for one pre-taped bit. And so, I love Cecily Strong. I know. So it'll be interesting how they come up with because they're waiting to the last minute, I suppose, with the because the Electoral College hasn't moved yet. Yet. Um, and so we're still all waiting for that. What What have you thought, Jay, of the election coverage? So I am a, you know, a, a huge follower of politics, of commentary. Um, and while I, I tend to be middle of the road um, in this election, I've tended to lean toward uh, replacing our, our current president, not lean towards, I've been <laughs> obsessed with it. Um, you know, I, I think a couple of things. One, last night I, I had to turn it off. I, I went to bed, my wife flipped it on just to get an update and I had to leave because they were blathering on about nothing. They are filling time right now um, because they have to fill 24 hours a day. And, and if it were up to CNN at this point, my partner here was asking me, he said he had a conspiracy theory. You know, why CNN, while other places and other networks have called, for example, Arizona and have called other places. I think CNN, we're gonna be eight years out and they still won't call some of these because they want to continue to have people tune in. Well, the only people that have called Arizona are Fox News and the AP. No right. one else has called Arizona. But at and some so, point. But, but that means that if he gets 
If they call, call any of them, Fox News will be the only one that can legitimately call the election for Biden. So if it's Nevada or if it's Pennsylvania or Georgia, they, they'll they be the only ones that can legitimately do it because they've already called Arizona. So yeah. the, it doesn't make sense. These other networks, and I, I listened to somebody on Fox News saying that he agreed. He said he thought Fox did it too early, but he agrees with their numbers. He just thought that they did it way too early, but the numbers are going to hold up. And then they went up to 20,000 today. So, Well, and you know that on the opposite way, Fox News is not going to call this election. It can be over with. They can have it in blood. They can have you know, <laughs> the, the, the Pope and an imam bless it. Fox News is not going to call, be the first to call this election for uh, Joe Biden. It's just not going to happen. I, I, think, I think they will call it, but I did read that they sent out a memo that they are not, they're not allowed to call Joe Biden president-elect. They're just, they're saying it's, even though he would have the electoral college, they're not going to call him president-elect because of all the lawsuits. But I don't think they'll be the first to call, to call the election. I'm saying they, they, they're going to let somebody else call it first. Fox would never be the first to do it. I, I just don't believe they would do it. Uh, they're just too beholden to the president. I think that this has become um, more of a, a show than anything. And, and I've had to tune out a little bit. I, like, I just want to know when we're getting close. I don't want to know your opinion. And somebody needs to take John King's marker away from him um, <laughs> and, 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 and put him in a straitjacket. It's just and Steve Kornacki has gone to bed. Yeah. I, uh, Stephen Karnacki um, is a national treasure in my book. And last night, uh, the Ali Velshi was on instead of him. And then Steve Karnacki turned around. He went home to sleep and he turned around because he was like, oh, we might have some more totals in Alabama and uh, Pennsylvania. And so he came back. Yeah. He came back and they were kidding him. Rachel Maddow said he does have more pairs of khakis. And wild. But he is so he's so energetic about these. And then about the counties like Maricopa County. And then he explains everything. And the, and and just the way he explains stuff is really good. And then he was saying, oh, oh, we're getting new totals. And then he is right on the money about the totals. And and so he's just to me, he's a national treasure. But there's this whole Twitter feed that started with Billy Eichner because Billy Eichner is such a fan of his. And Billy on the street, and so he's like, Steve Kardecki's not on TV. Where is he? And and so then everybody started. I mean, it's a hilarious thread about where is Steve Kardecki when he's not there. And then um, I just think they're getting all goofy. You know, they're getting they've been on the air for so long. Apparently, John King on CNN's had ten hours sleep since Tuesday. So, you know, they're all getting just loopy and then the totals don't change. So you're getting frustrated because the totals don't change. But to me, that there's been good and bad. And the best thing is when they get those state election officials or secretary of states to come out at the podium and say, this is what's going on, being very calm. When, when Biden has given the few remarks that he has, he's been very calm. We're not seeing that on the other side with the incumbent president. He was on TV last night and all the networks except Fox, 
turned away from him because there were so many misinformation and lies. And Daniel Dale, the fact checker for CNN, said that in four years, that was the most lies he's ever heard. So Brian Wills, everybody turned away. Lester Holt, they all shut him off. That's the first time that that has happened, well, I think. Well, it was 2.30 two, in the morning, and he is an 85-year-old man. So. Ooh. The president? No, he's not eighty-five. Oh, I was saying, I say. it was two. It was two thirty in the morning. Yeah, and Let so me. you know he and he doesn't read off a teleprompter. Nobody wrote. No, that. last night when he was when he was just saying all this unfounded stuff. Right. Last yeah. night when he was on because he was on right at network time. Stephen Colbert, go back and watch Stephen Colbert's monologue. He crying. Colbert. He did. He was just verklempt. He was beside himself. And it's very powerful to watch that. But, uh, you know, occasionally you're getting you're getting some good news. Like today, uh, they said, uh, you know, the lawsuits so far have been, all been dismissed. And so they said today in Pennsylvania that the Trump lawyers acknowledged that there were poll watchers, observers inside from both sides, they acknowledged that, yes, there were Republicans inside because that's been a big cry. Right. You know, like Ted Cruz is like, well, we don't have Republicans in there. And they do. And then they also acknowledge that um, that that the lawsuit, you know, was going to fail. I mean, they just, we just want it. every vote to be counted. I don't care how long it takes. Listen, yeah, well, no. And this is the thing I have worked when, back when I was in news, I haven't worked an election for like six years, but I used to work every election night and I have seen all the totals come in. I have seen the whole process. And to just say that all of a sudden they're finding boxes of ballots and, and they're doing all that. This has always happened, except we've never had such a high turnout of mail-in ballots because we have a raging pandemic. Let me tell you, I'll tell a quick story that I, I posted on the uh, Facebook page. I have been doing this for Republicans and, and kind of being a poll watcher. And I've done it at local levels and I've done it at a national level working for this. And I will tell you that in the 20 years, I have never heard of and never come across the type of voter fraud that everyone keeps jumping up and down and screaming about. Um, and I've been in the meetings, I've been on the conference calls. There are one-offs all the time, but mostly what you get are you get, you you end up with these uh, urban legends, okay? And they said, and so I was in another state and I won't say which state it was and I'd been working for this candidate for two months in another state um, leading up to the election, presidential election. And so um, we had all the, the setups and we were back at the headquarters and people are out poll watching and we get the phone call. They are busing in illegal immigrants to the polling place and they're letting them vote, get down here. I don't know how long I, you know, we can stop this. We jump in the car, we head down to the polling place. It turned out that it was city transportation. It was a city bus being ridden by people of color that were legally voting, doing exactly what they wanted to do. So whenever you start hearing about they're busing in this and the, the boxes of documents and, and the, the, the ballots are appearing and they're disappearing. People will say damn near anything. Um, and, and I think sometimes they believe it, but there are other people out there that are so committed to the cause that will say anything that they think will, will matter. 
and it never, 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 in my experience, turns out to be um, a fraud or some kind of impropriety that is even a blip on the radar of the uh, results. It just isn't there. And if it was President Trump's commission that he put together, you know, I had the Secretary of State of Maine who was on that commission on my radio show. He said they had this document already prepared before they started investigating. It was just fill in the blanks and they couldn't fill in the blanks. It was like Mad Libs. They just they, <laughs> they didn't have anything to support it. Ben Ginsburg, the Republican lawyer, the RNC lawyer who like me had worked, but he was at a much higher level and for much longer has also said the same thing. Folks, it's not out there. So uh, I, I don't know what to tell you. I guess if it makes you feel better, if it makes, you know, if, if your anger is uh, fueled by this and that's what you're looking for, then go ahead, buy into it. But, you know, ask somebody to send you proof and they can't do it. It doesn't exist. And Twitter is not proof. <laughs> no, and, and also uh, people can file lawsuits. They just have to have evidence. No, that's what they do. I'm in the business, and people say, "Can that? Can they do that? Can they file that lawsuit? Not just for elections." That's but, your job, isn't it, Jay? That, that people can file a lawsuit saying anything. It's whether they can win or not. Yeah. Well, I've been part of recounts. You know, like I've covered races where it was like 12 votes. So of course they do a recount, and it's very few. Like there'll be one or two votes that change and stuff. Right. It's very. It's not this whole thing. And then also some of the states were not allowed to count votes before election night. Pennsylvania, which was said so by the Republican legislature, because people forget each state's rights, each state has their own voting laws and particularity or uh, peculiarities because each state's rights, it's in the constitution, each state gets to do their own voting laws. And so therefore, there's nothing uniform across all 50 states. And I've been in counties before where you have the two, you know, you get the media, you get there around the time the polls close. And then the, the precinct committee women start bringing in the boxes and there's always two of them. There's never there's one person. Times. Yeah. There's always at the polls, at the, the back rooms, there's always, always, always a Republican and we a Democrat. We forgot a box back there. Oh, they brought in two boxes after time. No. Yeah. It's no. counting. That, they, they were pizza boxes. It was dinner. Yeah. So it's just, there's a lot of urban legends, like you said. And I'm glad you told that story, Jay. Um, for lighter fare, because uh, believe me, you know, sometimes this is just getting a little too crazy. Um Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is finally going to broadcast the induction Saturday night, HBO, 7 o'clock. It's Whitney Houston, Nine Inch Nails, Doobie Brothers, Depeche Mode. Notorious B.I.G. and T-Rex. Right. So. Uh, I, I voted for Depeche Mode. I wanted them in. Um, Doobie Brothers have, should have been in a long time. Whitney Houston's fine. Nine Inch Nails is really, it, I'm interested in seeing who they put in from Nine Inch Nails because it's really Trent Reznor right. and, and Atticus, uh, his, yeah. um, the, the guy you won the Oscar with. Uh, I keep, I want to say Atticus Finch, but I know that's wrong. Yeah, I know, Ross. Atticus, Atticus, Atticus Ross, Ross, yes. Atticus Finch is To Kill a Mockingbird, speaking <laughs> of 
Um, Biggie, Tupac's in, so why not have Biggie in? And T-Rex. Uh, so do you name? think Michael McDonald will be there from St. Louis? They were supposed to be. I, I don't know if he made the cut or not. I'm, I'm guessing that he's in it because he had some of their biggest hits and he was in the band for a long time. But because of COVID, the one concert I wanted to see at Riverport, I'm sorry, Hollywood Casino Amphitheater this year was the Doobie Brothers with Michael McDonald. Because I had never seen Michael McDonald with the Doobie Brothers. That was the one concert I wanted to see this year out at Riverport. My first concert ever, 1975 or 76, Cape Cod Amphitheater, the Doobie Brothers. With Michael McDonald. I, I don't remember it. I got to tell you, unfortunately, it was a four-hour drive, and I was with some older kids, and we drank too much beer, and by the time the Doobie Brothers were on, I was passed out. <laughs> well, um, yeah. when I was in college, I was on the uh, events council, and I asked the guy that was in charge of all the concerts, I said, Hey, do you need any help at the Doobie Brothers concert? And he says, I need people to pick them up at the airport. Yeah. <laughs> so I picked up the roadies <laughs> and took them to the Ramada Inn in Bloomington. So isn't that a hoot? And what you know what the roadies do? They pick out the girls for the band. Yeah. Right. And so yeah, we were there all day. Um, yeah, it was a long, it was a long day and night. And then uh, I did see Michael McDonald when he was with the Guild open at Mississippi River Festival for Sha Na Na. Wow, that's just weird. <laughs> yeah, so that's it. And um, I was going to tell you, you know how you were talking about movies at theaters? Well, now they're have even if they get released to the theater, they're getting on DVD really fast. So Antebellum is out already on DVD. Wow. It, it, yeah, as of Tuesday. And then this Tuesday, Bill and Ted's Face the Music is going to be. So finally, we don't have to pay $23 to see it. Yeah, you can pay $20 to own it. Exactly. Right. So uh, this, this bit of uh, movie news came out today. Uh, Warner Brothers is parting ways with Johnny Depp as Grindelwald for the next three movies. <laughs> I mean, he was barely in the first one. Barely in the second one, and I guess he was going to be a big part of the third, fourth, and fifth film. But they're, I guess, they're going to recast their main villain because it was uh, it was Colin Firth in the first movie, and then he turns into Johnny Depp at the end. Colin and, Farrell. Oh, I'm sorry, what? Colin Farrell. Oh, Colin Farrell. Sorry, sorry. Uh, yes. Oh yeah. Yeah, we got our Collins mixed up. I was even picturing Colin Farrell in my head as I said Colin <laughs> Firth. Sorry, sorry to both of them. But yeah, so Warner Brothers said, uh, sorry, he's done after he lost his libel suit this week. Yeah. yeah. And then also they um, they have moved Fantastic Beasts. Three. Yeah. And then Death of the Nile now has been delayed from this year. And also they announced, my, my daughter told me her Dungeons and Dragons chat group has said that they have announced, the BBC has announced that uh, the fifth season of Sherlock is going to happen. But I, I didn't know anything about it and I can't find any confirmation anywhere, but I'm not going to doubt high school girls. Is that the one that's on CBS? No, 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 that, that's elementary. This is Benedict Cumberbatch and- oh, okay. uh, PBS, uh, PBS. Well, it's, it's BBC and it's Netflix, but yes, it runs on PBS. 
Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman. Uh, Freeman. Martin Freeman. Thank you. From The Office and from the Black Panther universe. And Fargo. Okay. And The Hobbit. Oh yeah. Um, if you um, if uh, we should have this up tonight, shouldn't we? Uh, yes. James Corden's Tony-winning performance, One Man, Two Governors, which he beat Philip Seymour Hoffman as Willie Loman in Death of a Salesman at the Tonys. They are showing it on great performances tonight. I think it's eight o'clock. So you can see James Corden in his Tony-winning role, made him a star. And uh, um, I'm, and also PBS has on demand. So if you don't watch it at eight, you can watch it another time. But that's something to see because a lot of people don't realize that's how he got his claim to fame. And I just looked it up. Michael McDonald will be inducted with the Doobie Brothers. Good. Awesome. awesome. Well, hey, Jay, thanks so much for coming. My and pleasure. We'll have you on. And, and I just have a feeling that after the year we've had, we're going to see a lot of movies come out of all that's happened this year. Absolutely. There's we've, all, we've already seen a lot of documentaries, but, you know, we're going to have fiction. Yeah. Yay, fiction. Material. And you can't make this stuff up either. Jay, where can we find you on social media? Well, mostly I hang out on Facebook. You know, I'm an old guy. So Facebook, Jay Kanzler. Um, and that's it. If Twitter, I'm not famous enough to be on Twitter. <laughs> not true, but okay. <laughs> you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Carl the Intern. And you can hear me on the Maxim Movies podcast. And you can hear me on the Intercom family of radio stations. Uh, this week I was doing middays with the Annie Fry show every day, waiting for election results that never came. And then next week I will be on the Mark Cox morning show waiting for results that will still not come. Yeah, yeah we might not. Well, you know, uh, Gore and a Bush were not till, what, December? Yeah. December 12th? Right, yeah, right before the Electoral College was supposed to happen. Yeah. Right. Well, I am on KTRS radio every Thursday with Ray Hartman at 10.30 p.m. And last night we went live knowing that we might be bumped if there were results, but we weren't. And then I'm in the Webster Kirkwood Times, which now has back to the print edition too. Yay. Yeah, and then um, we have this, and uh, I have my own website, poplifestl.com, which is a work in progress. There and I'm on all the socials. Then Ben House. Thank you all. Thank you for coming, Jay. Thanks, I appreciate it. Oh, it's been really, it's been a lot of fun, you guys. You guys are great. Thanks. Uh, support local, stay safe, and we'll, we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>